Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast aims to explore, debate, and understand a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students. We look at issues in South Africa, Africa, and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject, and we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Mahita Ikani, and I'm your host. Okay, well, I'm Sbusi Sosengwayo. I am studying um, international relations at the Northwest Book. Well, I know it's one of those things, well, when because it's like my first year now, so when we, when we got to vote, they just told us, like, yeah. It's one of those things, like, in high school, if you hand in someone else's work or if you take work directly off the internet, stuff like that, yeah. It's, it's wrong. Because I feel like if you're working and you search something on the internet, the fact that you had the time to search it and look through everything to get what you wanted, isn't it okay? It's someone wrote it, but you worked to get what you got on the internet. So I don't see why it's a problem. But yeah, you know, the last time I did that was in high school. For the last few episodes, we focused on questions related to the student protests and the struggle for free education in South Africa. This week, we shift our focus a little and turn our attention to a more pedagogical question. As universities in the North start their academic years and universities in the South attempt to finish them, it's an apt moment to pause to reflect on the question of academic integrity. Plagiarism, what is it? And how can writers, both staff and students, be better equipped to avoid it? Our guest to discuss these questions is Professor Roger Davis. He's a Canadian academic, currently based at Red Deer College in the state of Alberta in Canada. His research interests include poetics in popular culture and cannibalism in literature. He is the first author of the textbook Essay Writing for Canadian Students, published by Pearson, and co-editor of the book Hosting the Monster, published by Rodopi Press. He's presented academic papers on contemporary poetics, cannibalism in film, and academic integrity. He was a faculty member in the English department at Grant McEwen University for 10 years, and served as academic integrity officer at McEwen University for two years. His PhD is from the University of Calgary. Very warm welcome to you, Dr. Roger Davis. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Happy to be here. So our topic today is plagiarism, which is a very serious and very, I imagine, controversial topic for many of us who work in the university sector. So perhaps you could start by giving us your, your perspective on how we would define plagiarism. I believe that there are many different ways of thinking about it and defining it. So what would you argue is the most useful and sensible approach to defining what plagiarism is? Yeah, it's a, it's a useful starting point. And what I've found over the years is that it's always, I find the most important thing to look at the context in which we are trying to define plagiarism, that the most simple definition is just taking words and ideas from other people without citation. 
And as far as that goes, it's not a very exciting or problematic definition, and it seems very straightforward. And in speaking with students, most students know that definition, and they understand what it is. Yet, most quantitative studies into academic integrity problems in higher education indicate that plagiarism is still the biggest problem. So, on the one hand, we have students who have a very straightforward understanding of the problem, yet it remains, on the other hand, to be the biggest problem. So there's a, a very clear contradiction there. So the bigger question that I like to ask and to think about, and it doesn't have a simple answer, is why do we perceive this to be a problem if students know what it is and, and know that they're not supposed to be doing this kind of activity, it nonetheless persists. And that gets into more interesting questions about why students would pursue education, how the administration, how faculty view plagiarism in education and the place of plagiarism within education. So, you know, I think it comes back to this question of why would students plagiarize in a particular context? And I think the answers vary from often student to student and, and location to location. So in your experience of the students that you've worked with over the years, how have they justified or explained the the reasons behind plagiarizing? Well, that's another good question in terms of some of the creative answers that I've heard over the years. And, and one of the things that this kind of discussion often encourages is a kind of anecdotal discussion, which I'll try to avoid as best I can. The two most common responses that students offer are, I didn't know and I didn't mean to. And the first question seems to be one around knowledge and understanding. And as I just said a minute ago, most students have an understanding of what plagiarism is. So it's not a very convincing discussion or excuse or explanation. In terms of the other response, I didn't mean to, that gets into the more difficult area of intent and, and what does it entail to mean to plagiarize that in my experience, most students are not willfully malicious people. They're not trying to cheat. They're not trying to plagiarize. Without the negative connotation to the word, it's a kind of ignorance around perhaps the severity or the consequences or just the, the simple practice of plagiarism that I think academics, higher education have a particular relationship to other people's ideas that is somewhat specialized compared to a general population. So Students are often unaware of how to use other people's ideas and words in ways that are appropriate within an academic setting. And again, depending on what background they have in education, I would make the argument that sometimes they're even encouraged to plagiarize in early years of education and not really taught the difference. And so when they arrive in, in post-secondary education into universities and colleges, they're often surprised by the responses to some of the discussions around plagiarism. Could you elaborate for us a little more on how students might be being trained unwittingly by the academic system itself into practices of plagiarism that they might not even consciously be aware of? Yes, I base this partly on, on my own experience, which I think is shared by at least a lot of students in Canada where I live, that 
you know, if we go back to early grade school, grade one, grade two, grade three, and we're sent down to the library to do a geography project or a science project on something that we, we know basically nothing about, and we pull a book off the shelf in the library or we look something up on the internet or whatever, and, and already we're engaging in a type of research, a type of information finding at those early grade levels, they're not really focusing on citation and on quotation and proper academic conduct. It's more about gathering knowledge of the world. And it's a very general kind of knowledge, but that's that's how we do things. And as we move through the years with, with students learning in, in grade school and high school, that the internet is a fabulous resource for information. And I think every single one of us consults it perhaps on a daily basis, to find information? And are we consciously aware that we are always in contact with other people's ideas, whether it's simple social situations of using someone else's joke to more serious academic situations where we're drawing on other people's research? And students, I, I think, often don't understand the difference between repeating a story that they heard from a friend and repeating research results that they read in another paper in their own school assignment. And that's a fairly broad spectrum, but they're not really clear, I think, many of them, on where the limits are or where new rules come into effect. And this comes back to a pedagogical question, I think, about how we educate students on proper citation methods and proper use of, of secondary materials. So I know from my experience in teaching that students really battle with the intricacies and the meticulousness of citation, and they often overcompensate, right? They're so worried that they're not citing a particular idea correctly that you'll see essays where, you know, after every phrase or every sentence, there's a citation kind of shoved in there. Yes. So I'm wondering if you could comment on what would be an appropriate way to train students in kind of the art or the ethics of citation in a way that doesn't drag them down and stop them from being able to exercise their own thinking, their own argumentation skills, right, in their writing. Yes, and, and that's that to me is, is a very important and, and fundamental question to, to education and learning itself. One of the principal things that I think many of us try to teach are good critical thinking skills. And you say that citation and documentation have intricacies. Critical thinking, of course, has, has a lot of intricacies as well. And my perception is that students are often so concerned with the intricacies of, of citation that they often do that at the expense of the intricacies of critical thinking. And there seems to be an imbalance in student perceptions. And I, and I think it's grounded in a kind of anxiety around certain discussions or perceptions of plagiarism and academic integrity in the institution. And I'll maybe just give a, a related example that the very frequently asked student question of, is this going to be on the test, indicates to me that they're focused on the test and they're not really focused on the learning of the material. That the focus on the learning of the material would make the test largely irrelevant. If you know the material, the test doesn't matter. And I think the same thing goes, or a similar thing goes with questions about citation, that when I'm talking to students about writing good essays, questions will often revolve around 
citation? Do you want MLA? Do you want APA? Do you want Chicago style? And, and less questions of method or, or argument. And I think we need to address that imbalance in, in student learning, that although they're aware that citation is an important thing, they worry too much about it. And that's not to say it isn't important, but we're, we're trying to teach both. When it becomes a discussion around plagiarism and around citation and how to avoid this and how to do that properly, I would hazard to guess that that's getting off track of what we're really trying to teach in terms of the post-secondary experience for them. And I imagine a lot of that anxiety that students feel about plagiarism is because institutions treat cases of plagiarism with huge seriousness. There are huge implications for a student who has been discovered to be plagiarized. I mean, it could, I know in my institution at least, it could ultimately result in their expulsion. And sometimes, you know, I I look around the university sector and see cases of campus rapes and sexual harassment happening. And I sometimes wonder whether institutions treat plagiarism as a more serious offense than, for example, sexual harassment. And it clarifies why students might be so terrified of getting it right and doing citations right. So what are your views on, on how institutions handle cases of plagiarism and the ways in which they frame it almost as a kind of punitive set of issues? Yes, that's, again, another very important question about how institutions are implicated in solving this problem or contributing to this problem. There's a number of ways to approach this problem. I'll begin maybe with the simplest is how do we punish plagiarism? And you're right that the response from institutions regarding instances of plagiarism or other academic dishonesty often seem wildly disproportionate to other kinds of offenses that we see on campuses and in in general society. Now, partly, and this is certainly not a defense of it, but an explanation, partly it's because plagiarism, at least in Canada and in many places, is not technically illegal. There's nothing wrong with it, necessarily, unless you're violating something like copyright law. Um, You're not actually doing anything illegal. It's an administrative matter, and it's a kind of ethical crime, if we could call it that. But it's an administrative problem, and and it's largely internal to universities. That it, It generally doesn't go outside of the walls of the institution. And that might be part of the reason why there's a a seemingly separate set of procedures and consequences that we can all observe seem to be quite disproportionate. So I think that needs to be addressed at, at an institutional level. And then beyond that, in getting into how to try and address these things that we need to look at who is responsible for making decisions around plagiarism. And certain studies in the United States looked at different configurations, different models of discipline and the kinds of committees that are struck to deal with infractions of of academic dishonesty. And what some of those studies found was that if they were involved in the process of disciplinary measures, students were often more harsh with each other than faculty or administrators would be with students. 
And that's an interesting finding in the sense of the learning community that something like plagiarism is seen as as a kind of moral or ethical crime among students almost as an offense against each other, that students are somehow cheating their fellow students. And it's it's an interesting and damaging sort of relationship when these kinds of attitudes come to the front where there's competition among students in in the learning environment and and students are afraid to say collaborate um, with one another for fear of being thought that they're plagiarizing or copying or cheating off one another. And that whole punitive model needs to be rethought in higher education. And there's a lot of discussion in, say, the last decade or so around ways of approaching this that are not punitive, that the terminology is shifting away from infraction and transgression and academic dishonesty to things like academic integrity and institutional integrity and and highlighting the positive elements of this rather than working with a punitive model. And I think that's really important as the discussions continue to try and focus on educating students and instilling the proper understanding of why they're getting education rather than if you do X, you're going to get punished. And, and that's a, a big institutional shift. And you just have to look at policies from various universities to see how the language in many cases is very disciplinarian and very destructive as opposed to constructive and educational. Absolutely. I think that shift is quite promising because ultimately, like you said, we're trying to produce critical thinkers and responsible citizens. So if we focus on the reasons for the need for academic integrity, hopefully we'll kind of deal with the issues almost before they arise rather than after they arise. Exactly. And that comes back to student perceptions of learning and how we are able to foster, change, influence, educate students to understand why they're getting an education. And it's a slightly different topic, but I think one that's very, very important in getting rid of this problem is getting students to understand why their education needs to be a kind of honest, ethical, genuine experience rather than an exchange with an institution. I'm thinking also about the idea of originality and how elusive it is. You know, on the one hand, as educators, we want our students to get to know a certain canon of ideas or material or research and to be able to kind of prove to us in their assignments that they know and understand the material. But on the other hand, there's this constant pressure that we're putting on them to be original. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder like, how possible that really is because in all of our work, all of the time, we're constantly drawing on reference points around us from the work of others, the ideas of others. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how important this idea of originality is in the conversations we need to be having about plagiarism. Yeah, that's a fun question to think about. I tell my students flat out that I'm maybe one of the most unoriginal people out there, that most of my knowledge comes from other people. And I think that's, you know, a fairly common situation. There's, I think, two sort of important moments in history that we can point to with this is that going back to classical Roman and Greek rhetoricians, one of the first exercises that students do is imitation. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with inculcating students in a system that that encourages plagiarism, that classical Roman rhetoric 
teaches people to plagiarize. Now it moves beyond that. We're supposed to imitate, and then we can get into discussions of you know whether imitation is plagiarism. But that idea of absorbing other people's styles, we see it in music all the time. Absorbing other people's styles is is not necessarily a bad thing. If anything, it's a wonderful thing. It's to be encouraged. The second element of that is likely out of the Romantic period, late 18th, early 19th century, when the idea of individuality really took hold in Western thought, notions of the creative genius that get associated with the Romantic period, people like Wordsworth and Coleridge and and others. And there's lots of interesting research that's been done right around this particular question about this creative originality, that we don't create things in a vacuum. Although there's a, again, big R and small r romantic version of the creative genius living on the top of a mountain somewhere, but most of us don't inhabit those spaces. And so as academics, as people, we're we're constantly engaged with other people's ideas. And a lot of these discussions around originality right now, I think, are being fueled by not necessarily romantic notions of creativity, but very contemporary notions of intellectual property and ownership. There's a very different kind of configuration of originality that are we going to turn around and commercialize these ideas. That's more of a product-oriented and sort of capitalist-oriented model rather than the idea of creativity and generation coming out of romanticism. So the original is is elusive, and it's actually to the benefit of our intellectual development to be relying on and learning from existing work that's out there. So I guess the integrity part of it comes through in being transparent about what we're imitating and how. Yes, and that seems like such a simple solution. <laughs> Cite your sources, and, and it's not a difficult thing to do. And and that's where I think students run up against a difficulty in perhaps their own practices as students is that, to use your example from before, when every single sentence has a citation after it because it comes from someone else, students get worried, I think, at that point because nothing is original to them. And it does create a problem around original thinking and the expectations that we have of our students that perhaps we expect too much originality from them. And maybe having discussions with them about what constitutes originality in their own work. That at the lower undergraduate levels, I think it's quite unfair to expect students to come up with creative, new, particularly radically new ideas. Some are capable of that, certainly, but many aren't. That part of the exercise of going through an undergraduate education is to to reinvent the wheel, to work through the problems that other people have worked through. And it's that process of doing that that is the education itself. And to expect them to be original all the time in that process is, I think, misguided or, or even unfair. And that expectation itself is compounded by the ease of access to information through technology. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about the ways in which, you know, different internet platforms and different forms of technology are assisting in helping with integrity or in making it more difficult for academic staff to kind of spot plagiarized work when it does come up. That's a two-part question, I think. One, is the internet making it easier to plagiarize? And the second part, is the internet making it easier or harder to spot plagiarism? 
I'll deal with the technology question first from the student point of view. Yes, the internet is, is a wonderful resource, but books are a wonderful technology as well. We've had books for within easy access for 500 years, and it's not difficult to, I don't think it's any more difficult to plagiarize from a book than it is from the internet. Maybe I don't have to leave my house to plagiarize from the internet, but plagiarism is not a new phenomenon. Did the internet make it a bigger problem? I'm not really sure that it did. I think it likely made it more obvious when it's happening, and there might be a little bit of an increase in it. But going back to what I said earlier about students, I don't think students are, are intentionally bad. If anything, I think the internet is contributing probably more to the unintentional plagiarism, that students get so comfortable using the internet that they unconsciously absorb materials into their own work. And on the one hand, that's bad because they're not citing sources. But on the other hand, I think it's fantastic because they're actually taking an active interest in their learning and looking things up online and doing further research into whatever it is that they're studying in any given subject. And I think that if that's furthering the learning enterprise, that's great. And then we need to, again, go back and have that discussion around proper citation and how to use that in a post-secondary situation. As for the faculty side of things, in terms of determining plagiarism, I see two possible immediate responses to that question. The first one would be about recognizing sources, that some of my colleagues cringe when I discuss this kind of a subject, that the best way, or perhaps a better way for students to plagiarize than using the internet would be to actually go back to old dusty books and plagiarize from books because they're not necessarily available on the internet. And it's actually quite difficult to find a passage from a book published in the 1920s on whatever subject is being studied by the student. Stuff online, my general principle is that if they can find it, I can find it too. But if they go to the library and pick out a dusty book and plagiarize that, it's unlikely that people will find that source unless it's been digitized online. So that's more of a problem. But I think there's always the flip side that, that it's making it, it easier as well. That, yeah, students might be plagiarizing a little bit more because of the Internet, but it's that much easier for faculty to find it. And that raises questions around the technology that's been invented, you know, the so-called plagiarism detection services and stuff like that, that are out there and the ways in which people are using technology to fight this problem of plagiarism, which has its own set of problems as well. And like you said, the very tiny minority of students are intentionally and maliciously plagiarizing. And if, you know, they want to and intend to, and this goes for staff and colleagues as well, they're going to find a way to do that, right? So like you say, it's more about the ethic of integrity and transparency. And technology, like you say, can assist us to help and build that ethic within our communities. Yes. So I understand that you've written a little bit about a comparison between plagiarism and cannibalism, <laughs> which is a fascinating link that you've drawn there. Could you tell us a little bit more about your arguments in that respect? Yeah, that's something that I, I've just sort of recently begun doing, that a lot of my history in academic work has been around plagiarism and around cannibalism as two sort of separate subjects. And just recently, I've sort of begun to think about the two together. And, and what I'm thinking about is drawing them together in terms of resources. 
the two areas seem to hinge on the appropriate use of resources. History through European colonialism of the Americas, for example, the cannibal figure was largely an invention that it perverts the idea of the consumption of food, humans eating humans, as a way to deflect, obfuscate, or otherwise downplay the massive resource extraction that's happening with European colonization, timber, mines, labor, all of those kinds of things. And so there's a misappropriation of humanity there. And to a much less serious extent, I see a similar sort of logic at work in plagiarism that people are, again, using resources inappropriately, that they're taking from others and masquerading as if it's something that they have learned. And it's a false appropriation and one that needs to be recognized and and transparent, as you say. Fascinating. Look forward to reading and seeing more of your ideas as they develop. So what advice would you have to staff and students out there, or writers, any writers, whether they're uh, in the academic setting or not, about how to avoid plagiarism or how to develop and strengthen their own thinking and writing in such a way as to be certain that they are safe? My answer might seem somewhat flippant. I would say don't think about it. (laughs) That one of the things that I talk to my students about in terms of writing is that they have a voice in their writing that is unique to each student. And when we start using other people's language, other people's voices, we start to sound like other people. We don't sound like ourselves anymore. You can try this at home by yourself. Type almost any string of words into Google that you make up yourself, and Google doesn't find an exact match. That is, we create linguistic constructions every single day, every single hour, that nobody has ever uttered before. And that's one of the amazing things to me about language is that we are constantly being original to get back to the subject of originality. Yet, we understand each other very simply. Linguists have talked about this at length. Um, It's a remarkable human capacity. So if you're writing your own stuff, it's highly unlikely that you're going to sound like other people. When we get into academic settings where we're usually, often, required to use other people's sources, that's when we need to have those discussions that you referred to before about the intricacies of, of citation and so forth, that just be aware that when we're using other people's ideas, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, and just cite it. If you're not sure, cite it anyways, because there's no harm in it. That if anything, and, and again, this is another another spectrum that's so disproportionate, that on the one hand, improper citation methods are construed as plagiarism, and you get a zero and possibly further sanctions from the institution. If you're using secondary material and you cite it properly, that's research, and that's great, and that's wonderful, and you get tenure and promotion. You know, it's a very uh, extreme difference between the two. It, It hinges solely on citation. So in terms of advice, I mean, I come back to the idea that it's it's not a very difficult situation to find ourselves in that we just are using other people's ideas and cite them properly. 
this, I think, rests up against the very real question of why would students find themselves in a situation where they are doing something improper. They've left something to the last minute or they didn't attend class and they don't understand the concept. So they're in a kind of desperate situation where they might be tempted to cheat or otherwise plagiarize material. But that's a whole different set of questions. Yeah, and I think especially in the South African context, often the context of the student's life and the particular challenges that they might have often plays in to attempted plagiarism or plagiarism that's happened. So I think it's always important to look at that context. But I think those are lovely pieces of advice to remember that we are all innately original, that our voices are unique, and that it's actually quite easy to write with integrity in the academic setting as long as one makes an effort to cite throughout. Yes, absolutely. So anything else that you wanted to add or bring up that I might not have uh, touched on or thought to ask you? Well, one thing I I would touch on, because it's a bit of an institutional question, and I think a lot of times the discussions around plagiarism are very focused on students and what students do. And I think we need to have similar conversations around faculty and around institutions and what faculty do and what institutions do. And something like the technology aspect of the so-called plagiarism detection services, in my mind, depending on the institution or the location, they seem to be growing in popularity or becoming a kind of commonplace among how students submit assignments. And when we get into questions around the ethics of that, there are certain problems with private companies operating these things and so forth. There's other questions around how that might damage or otherwise reconfigure the student-teacher relationship. But in terms of the faculty and the institutional use of these things, it's a kind of technological problem that I want to highlight here, is that technology in terms of plagiarism detection really is not detecting plagiarism. What it's detecting is a comparison of texts that it's taking a text a student submits and comparing it to text that is available on the internet. It can't differentiate between quotation and plagiarism. And what I find with these kinds of services or these kinds of technologies is that they generate a report, what they sometimes call an originality report. And it might indicate that, say, 25%, pick a number, uh, of a paper is not original. So it might be quotation, it might be plagiarism. And that specific mechanism right there, to me, indicates a problem with the way in which these technologies operate, is that they're generating a numbered response that is supposed to mean something. And when we talk about context, this is so key that I have colleagues say to me, well, I don't check reports unless they hit a certain percentage. Well, what about the 1% that is plagiarized, that if it's, you know, something, and so it's not a, it's not a perfect system, it's, it's, it's an estimate. And I would make the argument that these kinds of things are crutches, that they're ways of mechanizing real thought processes and, and real grading processes to say, you know, if you plagiarize, the machine will catch it, and then I don't have to think about it. And I think that is a representative example of some other problems that we see in what some people have called the unbundling of academic work, where plagiarism is not something that faculty members or institutions really want to concern themselves with too much, they'll have a computer program that will do it for them. 
But these computer programs are incredibly imperfect and not very thorough tools at all. And so it gives a, a false sense of security that we're doing the right thing when, in fact, we're doing a kind of a poor job of it. Mm, it is really concerning that these so-called plagiarism detection services are run as, you know, for-profit entities by private companies. Yes. And I imagine much like, you know, exam timetabling, it's the kind of thing that really only a human a human actor can do really well, you know, detect whether something is plagiarized or not. Yes, exactly. And, and that, again, comes back to the student-teacher relationship, that if we are authentically grading our students' work, we have a better sense of how they're progressing as students. And when we start to mechanize that process, it becomes less than it could be. Of course, there is a link between questions of academic integrity and social issues, such as the student uprisings we are seeing in South Africa at the moment. When students are underfunded, stressed or fighting for social justice, they are less likely to be able to focus on building the academic skills they need to excel. The positive, constructive view on plagiarism that we've discussed in today's podcast certainly fits into a pedagogical view of education as a social process that assists students in reaching their full potential and contributing productively to society as citizens. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. I'm Jeannie Blackbeard and I'm studying BA General with majors in Anthropology and Religious Studies at University of Pretoria. I get scared. I think of getting expelled. I think of really, really bad, scary things that will completely derail my studies. Yeah. You know, I think it was when we got to university, like at high school, they tell you a little bit about plagiarism, but at university, they really nailed it into you with like all the training courses and stuff you did on it. And they were they were so serious about it. They said, if there's any trace of plagiarism, like you're out of there kind of thing. So I think that's what really got the fear into me was that initial contact with the university. Well, I mean, that's the argument of art. I did a religious and art assignment and, and art says that there is no such thing as plagiarism you're just recycling people's ideas which I can see the merit in that as well but I can also see from an academic point of view you know if I submit an assignment and I do well and you submit the exact same thing the next year I can see where that can get sticky for the university but I can definitely see the idea of recycling and I think I get trapped into that when I'm doing assignments as well I'll, I'll sit and I'll fuss over a sentence because it's somebody else's idea but I have to try and recycle it to make it work for the university. My name is Kabila Mohapi, and I study sound engineering. Taking work that's not yours, basically. And yeah, using it as your own and giving it out as if you did the work and stuff. It is legal because it's, uh, it's basically taking someone else's intellectual property. Whereas you could also try and make money off of it and that person could be at a loss. As a producer, there's a lot of producers like South African producers that sample music. So sampling is basically taking someone else's basically melody and stuff from a different song and using it in your song and uh, giving it out like that. So in our case, if you do that, you can be fined heavily. When in terms of essays and stuff, whenever you have to hand in an essay, they actually it is possible to go find some information on the internet. But they want your words. That's why they always they always have a quotation where they say you should write. Um, you can do all the research, but it should in the end it should be in your own words. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. 
ASAWU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at WITS. For more information, visit www.asawu.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Today's show was presented by Mehita Ikani. Research scheduling, editing and production was done by Balungi Limbinyane. Thanks to Roger Davis, Jeannie, Spusiso and Cabello for their time. Jürgen Mikkel created our jingles. <laughs>